child. Um, let me once again, as uh, Pastor Tim and, and Pastor Nick already did, let me just once again welcome you to fellowship. Uh, if you are here for the first time, we want you to know that you are uh, welcome and that we're glad that you're here. And I hope and pray that God will be speaking to you uh, through what it is that we've already done in worship and then also through what it is we'll be doing now as uh, we uh, open the word of God. This is the part of our service where we preach and teach uh, God's word, and it's what we do each and every week when we gather, we come together, we sing, we testify uh, of God and his, his greatness, but then we also take time to understand the truth of his word, and we believe that the, the, that the scripture is our authority, and then we submit ourselves to it in our lives, or it, that is our desire uh, to do that. And so I'm going to begin an Advent preaching series uh, that will take us uh, right through uh, Christmas Eve. It's called God Incarnate. And incarnate means uh, in the flesh. And, and so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means that God himself, what we've been singing about already, that God himself became human flesh. And today we're going to start by looking at a familiar Christmas scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 1. And this passage is Matthew's account of Christ's birth. He even says so right in the beginning. He says, right, right when he starts this, uh, this part, he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And when you read that, you can see that Matthew is telling a story. He, he wants to convey a story to his readers, to, to the listeners. And it reminds me of how all of us do the same thing, especially, especially when it comes to our day of birth. Matthew, Matthew's talking about uh, the day of birth for the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but we do kind of the same thing when we talk about uh, our day of birth. Parents and grandparents will will tell us what it was like the day that we were born. We, we're, we'll hear things like it was, a, it was a cold December day or it was a, it was a hot summer night. And, and the more details that we, we learn uh, about it, the more enjoyable it is to hear and to understand the context of our birth. For me personally, I can, I can still remember my mom telling me about the day that I was born. I remember her telling me that I was born in the morning and, and, and her just describing different parts of, of what it was like for her. Most significantly, I remember her telling me that I was born on the same day that they had lost their first baby seven years prior, which was September 5th, 1961. She even told me that somehow in, in, in some, some just the way that God works, that I, that I somehow even looked like him as a baby. And, and I learned that I have a, a brother in, in heaven. He was born, lived a few hours, and then, and then he died. My mom then became pregnant again, and my uh, sister Cindy was, was born. And then a couple years later, my brother Michael, seven years later to that day, I was born. And then four years later, my younger sister, Lily, was born. And we have a brother that, that we, we never met, our father, a son that he's never met, but we're all looking forward to meeting him 
in heaven. And some of that is all tied around understanding a little bit more about the day that I was born. And each one of us, each of you that are here today, you have stories associated with the day that you were born. And each story is an important one. You should ask about it. Learn all that you can about that day. And the same is true of our text that we're going to be looking at for today. Matthew is telling us about the most important day of birth in all of history. And it's the day that Jesus Christ was born. And he wants his readers, he wants us to understand that. So I'm going to pray and ask God to go before us. So would you pray with me as we ask God to lead and guide us by his Holy Spirit? Lord God, we thank you for this Lord's day that we can gather in your name and we submit ourselves to your truth. Lord God, I pray that you would open our hearts, each one that's here to hear from not me, but from God through his word. Our ears would be opened and Lord, a story that we are so familiar with would not become a story that, that we just take for granted that the familiarity would not make us lose the wonder. But Lord, help us to, to understand this with freshness and with the wonder that it deserves. And I pray that you can work through the preaching and the teaching of your word today in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 1 if you have your Bibles with you. If you do not, uh, the scripture will be here on the screen for you to see. And, and we're going to, again, see Matthew's account of Christ's birth. So we're going to start at verse 18. And he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He wants his readers to know, I'm going to explain to you what happened. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. There are five themes that I want to bring out and that I think will help us understand Matthew's account here of Christ becoming human flesh. So, so let's look at these, at these five themes that, that are coming out of, of this text that, in the way that Matthew writes it. And the first theme is, is the conception. The conception. Again, I want to point you back to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Notice again how Matthew starts by saying, I want to tell you all the story of Christ's birth. Let me tell you about the day that Jesus was born. 
But what's so interesting about the way that Matthew does this is that he doesn't actually tell us about Christ's birth. He's focused on something else. He sets it up that way, but, but, but he's really focused on how Christ was conceived. Because there is something special, unique, miraculous about how Christ was conceived and Matthew wants us to understand that. Now, just to be clear, I asked each of you to find out about the day that you were born, not the day that you were conceived. Those are different stories. But Matthew is focused here on conception. And that's very, a very important part for us to understand. We have to take note of that. Especially since Matthew starts this account by saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's not a mistake scripture doesn't make mistakes. It's a point of emphasis. He's emphasizing that when it comes to Jesus Christ, it is the conception, essentially, that supersedes the birth. From the standpoint that his birth was very, very much like everyone else's, but the conception was not. And that's what he's telling us. Second theme is the betrothal. Verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. That's not a word we use today. And again, he's supposed to be telling us about Christ's birth. But here in telling the story, he takes us back to the betrothal, which is really the engagement. That's the word we use today, the engagement between Joseph and Mary. And, and Matthew tells us that Mary had been betrothed, engaged to Joseph. And this means that, that, again, they were engaged to be married, but we need to understand something. In first century Jewish culture, betrothal had much more serious ramifications. It had both legal and cultural ramifications if broken. So it wasn't just, you know, you get engaged and, you know, you break it off. There were, there were legal ramifications in the first century as well as uh, cultural ones that were pretty serious. So Matthew wants us to know, again, follow the story he's telling. He's telling this story inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Matthew's writing and the Holy Spirit is the one giving Matthew what it is that he's, he's telling. And so Matthew wants us to know that Mary was betrothed, engaged to Joseph. And again, it's a significant part of the story. The third part, theme, is the scandal. Because there's also a problem in this story. Verse 18. Again, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, before they came together, she was found to be with child. From the Holy Spirit. So Matthew does not shy away from the scandal of this story. In, in fact, if you read the first chapter of Matthew before we got to verse 18, if you saw those first 17 verses, you're going to read about the lineage of, of Jesus. And Matthew already introduces us to scandal by telling us about the lineage of Jesus. Christ's family lineage is, is really littered with what we would consider to be scandal and dysfunctional families. 
I mean, you look at this lineage, the Tamar is in there. You can read the, the, that story in, in the Old Testament. Rahab is listed. She was a prostitute. You can read that story in the Old Testament. We have David in there. He had his own issues and problems and scandal. Yet Matthew does not hide from this family dysfunction. He lists the names in scripture, which means they're going to be there forever to be remembered. He's far from running. He's, he's leaving it there for, for us to know. And now Matthew tells us that Mary has become pregnant while she and Joseph were engaged to be married. So it's before marriage and before they had been together sexually. He makes that clear. Matthew says, from the Holy Spirit, right? So, so we know that, we're reading this, but no one else knows that. Mary knows it because she knows what she's done and what she hasn't done. But who will believe her? Who will believe her? It's a massive problem, legally, culturally, morally, it's a big problem, Matthew tells us about it. But then he moves right on from that and doesn't go into it anymore uh, or, or very much right there. And then he moves on to the integrity, which is the fourth theme I want to bring out. And he says in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So, so he's telling us now about the integrity of Joseph. Here's what Joseph knows at this point. And again, please remember, when you're reading the Bible, you're reading the Bible about real people. Like, these are real people, real human beings, just like all of us. What does Joseph know at this point? He knows that his fiance is pregnant, and he knows that he's not the father. He really doesn't need to know anything else. That's telling him all he needs to know. He knows biology, right? He understands how things work. Right? He's seen enough of life to know that this is a problem. Someone is the father and it's not him. But notice what he decides to do and notice what Matthew is pointing out that he does. He decides not to shame her publicly. He decided to divorce her quietly. He will not humiliate her, which he had the right to do in first century Jewish culture, he very much had the right to publicly humiliate her and more. But he's not going to do that. He doesn't want to do that. Matthew tells us that Joseph is seen as a just man. He's a man of integrity. And that's why he's handling things this way. And he's doing so before he knows, take note of that, he's doing this before he knows what happened. The way Matthew is, is telling us this, Joseph in verse 19 is unwilling to put her to shame before he gets the rest of the information, which we're going to see in verse 20. And that brings us to the fifth theme, which is the revelation but as he considered these things, and there must have been much consideration, right? 
that this young man, Joseph, was going through at this time? Could you imagine the things going through his mind? As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. He reminds Joseph of his lineage. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So even the angel, as Matthew describes it, is focused on conception. So again, notice the sequence of events. After Joseph decided to put away his wife quietly, because he's, he's thinking like every other human being, right? My, my fiance is pregnant. I'm not the father. I'm not going to publicly humiliate her, but obviously this isn't going to work. After his decision, God revealed the plan to him. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear what? What exactly did Joseph have to fear? Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why would he have to fear that? Because, because to marry Mary in this condition of her being pregnant with it already being known by Joseph that he was not the father would cause some problems for not only Mary but for Joseph and for this child but the angel says do not fear to take Mary as your wife do not fear marrying a woman that is carrying a baby that is not yours why should Joseph not fear that? Well, the angel says, because the baby inside of her is conceived supernaturally from the Holy Spirit of God. Notice again, Matthew's emphasis is how the baby was conceived by the Spirit of God. Mary has done no wrong here. Right, all this time Joseph is thinking, what 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 happened here? I you know, I, I chose this woman, right? She's this virtuous young woman. What how did I go wrong? How did she go wrong? Now through this he realizes she has done no wrong. Her virtue remains. She has nothing to be ashamed of. Neither does Joseph. Her pregnancy is not due to some sin. It's not, she didn't go outside of marriage. It's God's doing. It is divine. It is supernatural. And it is something that Joseph is going to have to trust God with. God has performed a mighty miracle here. And it's something that Joseph is coming to terms with. The Holy Spirit of God has, in his own providential way, caused Mary to conceive with child. And not in any or some sort of abusive way, as some progressives are now saying about this story. That's just blasphemy of the scripture. Mary was blessed to be chosen. 
She understood that blessing and we sang about it. We sang the song of, of blessing that, that she herself sang because this was blessing and favor and nothing else happening here. So Joseph now knows the truth. What will he do about it? How, he, how will he move forward? But there's more instruction. There's very specific instruction for Joseph, especially now that he realizes that he is going to be the earthly father of this child. And that means something for him. He's going to have to adopt this child into his family, into his home. He's going to have to treat this child as if it were his own. He's understanding that this is what it means when the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That's what's implied. It's not just about a marrying Mary. I'm entering into a relationship with Mary where this child is now my son and I will treat him that way. So what's the instruction that the, that he's given? She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Verse 21, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, Mary's going to have a son. So the reveal is over, <laughs> right? They, they know what, what, what's coming, boy or girl. It's a boy. And you were to name him Jesus, God saves, because he is going to save his people from their sins. He is, Joseph, the promised savior. So, so Joseph is now putting all of this together. The prophecies that he has heard, somehow he has been inter- intertwined into the story. And all of this is happening as the prophets foretold. And then Matthew gives us a quote from Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God himself has come to us in the flesh. Just as the prophets of old foretold. This is what's happening here. Matthew is now connecting Old Testament prophecy with what's happening in the present with Mary and Joseph. It will happen just as the prophets said it would happen. And this really is the greatest miracle of Christmas, the greatest miracle ever. The divine conception of Christ in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit of God and God himself being born into the world as a human baby is the single greatest, most incomprehensible miracle of God ever known to humanity. That this could happen. That God himself would come in this way. God himself See, this is why we need to hear this. This is why we need to take time to talk about it and to sing about it because otherwise we become numb to it and it starts to not mean anything to us. But God himself became human flesh and it happened through this miracle. God the son 
right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Son, the very God of the universe somehow became a living child in the womb of Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. An incredible miracle. Let me say this another way that I think we need to understand it in our culture. The greatest miracle of God took place when a living fetus was placed supernaturally in the uterus of Mary. And that living fetus, that living child was Jesus, Emmanuel. And if you heard the Advent reading that was read to us as the candle was lit, who was the first person to rejoice at the news of Jesus? Who was the first worshiper of Jesus? John the Baptist as a fetus in the womb of Elizabeth is rejoicing at Christ who's in the womb of Mary. There is just no possible way that biblical Christ-centered Christians can celebrate God incarnate without realizing the immense significance of what it means to be pro-life and to be anti-abortion. I want you to think about something, and this is not, I don't mean this to be political in any way, but our entire faith literally hangs on the story of a woman becoming pregnant and keeping the baby. A baby that was not fathered by her husband. That's what our faith hangs on. That's our story. And we just went through an election cycle that attempted to identify any candidate that was against abortion as dangerous. And I want you to see what our enemy has done because he's using every means possible to undermine God incarnate, to undermine the story of God in the flesh. Because what he's done is he's cheapened life. He's cheapened life in the womb to something that is nothing more than an inconvenience. And may God forgive us for that. This story reminds us that babies are a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. And the story of God incarnate is a story about a woman in the midst of a scandal becoming pregnant with a story that no one would believe. And in faith, she believed God and gave birth to the savior of the world. That's our story. I mean, that's, what we're, that's what we celebrate. That's what, that's what Christmas means for Christians. And it's an incredible story and one that Matthew went into great detail to make sure that we would remember and remember in the right way by focusing on this conception, this miracle. I want to now give you four revelations about God incarnate, about God himself being made flesh. And again, I want to encourage you, especially we celebrate Christmas every year and it can easily just become we go through the motions. Please never be underwhelmed by these truths of God. The first revelation I want to give to you about God incarnate is that God made flesh means that God is with us, not just in a sign or prophecy, but in person. 
When we look back to Isaiah chapter 7 and you see the prophet Isaiah and the prophecy, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But what was the sign of Isaiah 7? It's a pregnant virgin. One that will eventually give birth to a son. That's the sign. But now we have more than just a sign. When Jesus was born, it wasn't just a sign and it wasn't just a prophecy. We had a person. We had God himself with us. That's what the scripture is telling us. God made flesh means that God is with us in human form, in person. His name is Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. We need to not uh, be underwhelmed by that. that. That can't be something that we just take for granted. Second, God made flesh means that the creator became like his creation to reveal himself to his creation. Do you see what God has done here in this story? I love the line from Noel written by Chris Tomlin and the song that was sung by Lauren Daigle. Come and see what God has done. That, that's a great way to look at the Christmas story to the world. Come and see what God has done. And do you see what God has done? The creator God became like his creation. And he did that in order to reveal himself to his creation. The creator God becomes like his creation so that the creation, which is humanity, can see him for who he really is. So do you want to know what God is like? We look to Jesus. Right? You look at Jesus, Emmanuel, because he is God with us. God made flesh. Third revelation is that God made flesh reveals that human flesh alone will never save humanity. God made flesh reveals to us that human flesh alone will never save humanity. I want you to think about something. If all we needed was the right king, the right leader, the right policies, the right political system, the right whatever, then why did God himself leave the glory of heaven and put on human flesh and come to humanity? Because we needed more. Jesus came from David's line. That's very clear in the scripture. David was considered the best king Israel ever had. He was the best they could do. And he failed miserably in a lot of different areas. Why? Because Israel needed more than David. And the world needs more than the best king humanity can find. We need a savior. We need God himself. Wrapped in human flesh. And that person came and his name is Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. And if you've never trusted in him as your savior and Lord, I want to invite you to do that because that is how you respond to God himself coming to humanity. It's not enough that you see him from afar and say, oh yeah, I see that it happened, but that you receive him 
So we see that God made flesh reveals that human flesh alone will never, never save humanity. Fourth, God made flesh means that God the Son in human flesh is the greatest revelation of God himself to all of humanity. Let's say that again. God made flesh means that God the Son, when he came to earth in human flesh, he was the greatest revelation of God to all of humanity. So when Jesus was born that night in Bethlehem, when we think about that, right? The Christ child born in a, in a stable in this such a lowly kind of nondescript way. That wasn't a story where you look at it and say, well, that's just the best God could do, you know, in a really tough spot. There was a lot going on in the world. This was just really the best God could do. That's not, that's not the Christmas story. When Jesus was born and this child came into the world and he was revealed to the world as the God-man, what, when people saw him, what they were seeing was the greatest revelation of God himself to humanity. They didn't realize it. We know what they did with the greatest revelation of God to humanity. They crucified him. That's how the world responded to seeing God himself in the flesh. But that's what he is. He, he is the greatest revelation of God to humanity. If the, if the world ever wondered what God uh, would look like and, and, and what he would do and, and how he would act. And, and if you're ever talking to someone and they're saying, I just, you know, I don't understand God and I, and I don't understand this about God and I don't understand that about God. And why would God this? And why would God that? You, you point them to Jesus and say, this is God's greatest revelation of himself to all of us. It's his son. Let's learn more about him, and you'll learn more about who God is. It was perfectly exemplified in and through Jesus Christ when he was made flesh. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 1. I'll put it up here on the screen for you to see. The writer of Hebrews uh, in Hebrews 1 wrote, Long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Let's just stop there for a second. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, long ago, the way that God would speak to our, to our fathers, to our ancestors, to those who went before us, is he would speak to them through the prophets. And they would read the prophets. And they would learn about him from the prophets. And, and, and God did that. And that's clear. We, we have evidence of that in the scripture. That's what the scripture shows us. But then he says in verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Something changed when Jesus was born. We went from God speaking through the prophets and God speaking to humanity through his son. 
his very own son, the begotten, born in time and space, enters into the world that he created to reveal himself to humanity. And what does the writer of Hebrews tell us about this son, God the son? He appointed, God had appointed him the heir of all things. Which means, which, what, that's another way of saying everything is his. Everything in the universe, it's his. Through whom also he created the world. So uh, another thing that the writer of Hebrews is telling us is, it's, is that the world was created in and through the son. He, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God. There it is again. Do you want to see the glory of God? Do you want to know what God is like? It's been revealed to us in and through God incarnate. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. God the Son is not less of a God than God the Father. The exact imprint of his nature. And he, the Son, God the Son, upholds the universe by the word of his power. So when you look out into the sky and you see the moon and the stars and the universe, you realize that God the Son holds that all together and he does so by his word. This God, the Son, was born into our world as a baby. And he did, and this story came about because God was revealing himself to humanity and saying, you all need to be saved from your sin and there's no way to be saved except you trust in my son, this child. It's an incredible story. So he's not just the best God could do in a tough spot. He is the heir of all things, which means he owns it all. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And this, this is what Christmas is all about. So what I want to remind you of, this is what Christmas is all about for Christians. It's about God himself coming to humanity in the form of a baby. God becoming human flesh. God incarnate. This, what we just read in Matthew 1, is the story of his divine conception. Matthew says this is how the birth of Christ happened. Let me tell you about it. And he goes back to Mary, Joseph, and betrothal, and scandal, and revelation. And as you think about the day that you were born, which I asked you to do earlier, be thankful. Give thanks to God for your life, 
Because he gave it to you and he had purpose. No matter how dysfunctional things may seem around you, he, he was born into that. The, 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 whole, the, the whole story of his descendants in, in the early verses of Matthew 1 reveal that to us. Give your life to the service and to the worship of God incarnate. Because when you think about the day you were born and you think about your purpose, there is no greater purpose for you than for you to know this God and to live in worship and service of this God for the rest of your days. And so as you celebrate Christmas this year, this is who you celebrate. You celebrate God incarnate. This is the one you magnify. This is the one you glorify. He came to us. He revealed himself to us. He is Jesus. He is God saves. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Let us worship him. Not just today. This is the first Sunday of Advent. I hope that uh, this message and what we're doing as a church can help you celebrate Christmas in such a, a worshipful way. Where your focus is on the fact that God himself has come to us. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the gift of Jesus to the world. Thank you for this incredible story of how you put things into place. Not by, none of this was an accident or a mistake. Everything happened exactly as you meant for it to happen. With Mary, with Joseph, with how Joseph found out what he was going to do, how he reacted. Lord, we're so thankful to you for how you have written this story and what it means for all of us. Help each one of us, Lord, to approach this Christmas season with an, under, with an understanding of who God is and that God has revealed himself in glory and in power in and through Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray, Lord, if anybody is here and says, you know, I've not done that, I've not given my life to this Jesus, I invite you to do that, to recognize that he is the one who was born to save you from your sins, but you must trust him personally, yourself. Would you give your life to him? We want to worship you now, Lord, and just continue to do that this entire Christmas season. Help us to do that in a way that brings glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.